Hey, I just want to say thank you for checking out this message today. I hope that it helps you, that it encourages you, and that you are able to learn a little bit more about who God is and why so many people throughout history have chosen to become followers of Jesus. If you enjoy this message and you want to hear more, you can find us on Facebook or YouTube, but ultimately you can find everything you need to know at clcwinnipeg.ca. There you can find more messages, you can find our social handles, ways to get connected to our church, and if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do that as well. And like I said before, I hope that you are encouraged by the message you're about to hear. God bless you. Have you noticed that there's a lot less grocery stores that are open for 24 hours a day than there used to be? It feels to me like just a few years ago, if you needed something late at night, you kind of had a few options. There's like Shoppers Drug Mart or Walmart. They always seemed to be open when it was late at night and you realized like you needed some cold medication or that you were out of milk or bread for the next morning. A few years ago, they all went away from that and they started closing sometime between like 10 p.m. and midnight. And why did they make that change? Probably just a money thing, but I feel like about 10 years ago, there was a lot more options for that kind of late night grocery run that would be needed every once in a while. See, I feel like I'm pretty used to things just being open. If I need something, I can look for it on one of like the millions of online stores that are open 24 seven. And if it's from Amazon, I can probably get it delivered within a day or two. Waiting feels like something that I rarely have to really do. Because I feel like my time is important. I don't want to have to wait for things. Sometimes you hear somebody say like they had to wait for something for like a month and it's just like, whoa, that's outrageous that you would have to wait that long. I remember when I was quite young, we went on a family trip to Prince Edward Island. And on a Sunday, we found ourselves in Charlottetown, which is the capital city. And we went to the city center and basically nothing was open. And I was pretty confused about what was going on. And my parents were like, wow, this is how it used to be. Everything in Winnipeg used to close on Sundays, but not anymore. It's nice that they still do that here. And I was like, yeah, I, I know we stop on Sundays because we're Christians and like Sunday is the Lord's day. Is all of Prince Edward Island Christian? Like, no, right? And they're not, but they were holding on to something from a time that the rest of Canada had kind of moved on from. People used to actually stop for one day a week. Not necessarily because they wanted to, but because businesses were all closed and people stayed home. Or at least, so I'm told. Now, that feels a little unusual to us. We don't have it here, but in the US, there's a restaurant called Chick-fil-A. And they're basically famous because they're the only fast food restaurant that doesn't open on Sundays. People stop and actually take notice when you choose not to make a profit for one day a week. And as it turns out, being open for more hours every week doesn't spread our workout and make everything feel way slower. For most of us, we find that if we choose to work and work and work, the work will keep being created. For example, a small thing. Have you ever set out to clean one room in your house and as you go, you keep finding more and more areas and things to clean? Maybe you think, okay, I'm going to clear out some old food from my fridge today. So you open it 
and you find a few things that are past their best before day and a few leftovers that you're like, ooh, I don't know if I trust that anymore, and you throw them out. Now you've got a little more room in the fridge and you can, you can see inside the fridge a little better and you realize the fridge itself actually needs to be cleaned inside. So you wipe down the inside of the fridge and then you realize that the top of the fridge is actually pretty dusty. So you clean that off and you're cleaning the whole outside of the fridge because somehow things just get on it. And then you spot a bit of food underneath the fridge and now you're trying to like move the whole thing in order to get all the dust and food that's fallen out from under the fridge. And then you get it back and you realize some of the food that you had taken out of the fridge was actually in some dishes and those dishes should be washed now. And now you're at the sink doing dishes and you realize that there are quite a few things that need to be washed. And I could keep going. But to see how that spiraled really quickly, what you thought was going to be a two minute task turns into 10 minutes really quickly. Because I think our brains are just tremendous at thinking of things for us to do. One little bit of difference that my wife and I have noticed in our marriage is those few moments after both of us get home from work. See, Brittany gets home from work from doing things at work and somehow she's ready to keep doing things at home. She worked a whole day and she sees me and she wants to get right into whatever our evening activity is. So she wants to go grocery shopping or go on a date. And as great as I think it is that she wants to spend time with me, I'm not always ready yet. Because I need a few minutes to get over work and clear my head and before I get into whatever else we might have planned. So the conversation we have now is that she often asks me, are you ready to do something or do you need to just be for a few minutes? That's become a pretty important question for us because it helps us just figure each other out. And it's important not because I don't like her or anything, but because sometimes in order for me be, to be able to bring my best self into my time with her, I need to just be. But we don't always like to just be. We value doing so much more. So we do and we do and we do. And it never feels like we do enough. And we spend all of this time and energy doing and we never allow ourselves to just be. And the crazy thing is that everyone can feel this way. As you talk to people, you'll find that high schoolers feel busy, university students feel busy, young professionals feel busy, parents feel busy, empty nesters feel busy, and retirees feel busy. So what's going on? How has our time become so filled up that we just feel busy all of the time? Well, as we continue on our series called God and My Everything, I want to talk to you today about our time and our attention. Time is the one resource that we can never get more of. We can't go into debt with it. We can't create more of it. It just is. And honestly, many of us don't feel like we quite have enough of it. We can see all of the things that we may want to do, but the one thing that will always limit us is our time. So I think it's important that we talk about it. Because I think God actually really cares about how we spend our time. A few things that the Bible says about it include this from Psalm 90, verse 10 to 12. It says, Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that 
is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Or in Ephesians, Paul wrote this in chapters 5, verses 15 to 17. He said, So then be careful how you live. Do not be unwise, but wise, making the best use of your time, because the times are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I think that second verse from Ephesians is really interesting in particular. As it turns out in Greek, they had two different words for time. The one referred to our clocks and our calendars. It's the idea of the time that we measure. The other word that they had for time described a moment, an opportunity. And this is what Paul was referring to here. He was saying, don't be unwise, but wise, making the best use of your opportunity. We in our lives have an opportunity. We have a chance to make the most of our lives. And once we've accepted Jesus into our lives, we have the opportunity to make earth a little bit more like heaven. To become a little bit more like Jesus. But time still marches on. And so many things get in our way and they distract us. If I can be honest, if you were here at the church last night, you would have seen that I was still writing this message on Saturday night. It's not because I took time off this week or because I was procrastinating. It was two things. First off, I just had a hard time figuring out this message. I had a topic and I just took forever to figure out what I was going to say. But second, as I sat down to write the message, I was able to find a million things to distract me from writing it. I can never think of more tasks that need to be done at work than when I'm sitting down to just write a message. I sit down to write and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I should send that email, or I should clean that room, or I should put that update on the website, or get a phone call, or somebody comes to the door. And at the end of the day, it can feel like I did everything except what I actually wanted to get done. I hope that some of you watching might relate to that feeling. Or maybe there's somebody watching who says things like, I like to leave things to the last minute because I work best under pressure. I'm hoping I'm not the only one who's ever said that. That's how I wrote every single paper in college. I would try to work on it a bit, but then with about eight hours left, before it had to be submitted, I would sit down in the school library and then I really got work done. And somehow I was never alone. I always had classmates who were doing the exact same thing. And my theory is that maybe those of us who work best under pressure only do so because that's actually the only time that we can force ourselves to sit down and pay attention because it's truly now or never. And then there's the other group of people. These are early people. I know we must have some of those people listening too. These are the people who will actually work ahead and hand things in early so that they don't have to feel stressed later or so later they can enjoy their time. But each group has the same goal. They just approach it differently. Each group just wants to feel like they have more control of their time. The procrastinators want to reclaim that time right now. The other group, I've heard them called procrastinators, they want to have control of their time later. And we all just want to feel like we have a bit more control of our time 
And we can kind of get mad at ourselves because we never feel like we can get it under control. But the truth is that there are so many things that are trying to grab hold of your time and attention that it makes it nearly impossible to resist. Johann Hari in his book, Stolen Focus, he wrote this, in 1986, if you added up all the information being blasted at the average human being, TV, radio, reading, it amounted to 40 newspapers worth of information every day. By 2007, they found it had risen to, the, risen to the equivalent of 174 newspapers per day. And I'd be amazed if it hasn't gone up even more since then. The increase in the volume of information is what creates the sensation of the world speeding up. So you see, it's not totally your fault. It turns out people who study this kind of stuff have come to the conclusion that we might actually just live in a time where we are all busy and have a hard time paying attention because there is simply too much. So we talked about our ability to figure out things that we want or need to do. But on top of that, we find ourselves faced with an inhuman amount of information that we feel like we should take in somehow and we just can't. It's actually just too much for us. So today, let's all just recognize that maybe, just maybe, this is not exactly how Jesus called us to live. If we can recognize that Jesus wasn't telling his followers to run at a totally unsustainable pace, if we can recognize that Jesus wasn't asking us to just consume everything all of the time, then maybe we can come face to face with the reality that this is not what we were designed to do. It's not how we were designed to live. Jesus didn't want us to be striving to have everything under control. So my question for you today is how do we wisely use our time? How can we make a wise use of the time and the opportunity that we've been given to live this life, especially once we call ourselves followers of Jesus? What should be changing for us? A few years ago, if I wrote this message, I probably would have thought that I had all of the answers. Seriously, I was really getting into this whole idea of like slowing down and building an intentional life and being minimalist. And one of my favorite authors and speakers who talks about this is named John Mark Comer. He wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's a really popular Christian book. And in it, he breaks down the problem and then gave four examples of habits that we can build into our lives to help us slowly find our way back to a slower pace of life. He talks about Sabbath, taking a day off, simplicity, slowness, and solitude. And it's actually a great book that I really do recommend if you've never read it. I have this very underlined, marked up copy of it because I enjoyed it. But the reality is that the vision of a slower life is really beautiful and it inspires us and it makes us want to change. But I haven't changed. Not really. I'm pretty good at taking a day off every week. And I don't really think that I push myself too hard, but I still fill my brain with things all the time. I always have a to-do list that feels too long. I always have my phone on and nearby. 
ready to interrupt whatever I'm doing at any given moment. And I often find myself going from thing to thing, trying to drive quickly through traffic, find the fastest lane, because apparently wherever I need to go is way more important than wherever everyone else around me is driving to. And I hope I'm not alone here. And a few years ago, I might have gotten down on myself because my habits weren't strong enough and I wasn't disciplined enough. I thought I needed to get my priorities in order and figure out how to live better. And I kept reading books on the topic like The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry or Atomic Habits, Essentialism, Indistractable, At Your Best, Digital Minimalism, and all of these other books thinking that at some point I would stumble onto this perfect solution that would finally get me feeling like I had control over my time. And I might have found that in one of those books, but the truth is that I kept reading and I kept not changing because it felt like too much. And honestly, there's too much happening in the world to want to slow down. And I guess that I just didn't really want to do that. So after years of failure, I guess I'm asking myself what I can do instead because I know I need to do something. And this passage in Ephesians makes it really clear because it basically says, be careful how you live because the times are evil. There's a lot of difficult things happening. This passage is in the middle of commands for us as followers of Jesus to live righteously and not to get caught up in sinful behavior. But what if some of those behaviors are things that are just slowly drawing us away from God? What if the worst thing that we can do is something that doesn't feel like so sinful, but maybe it's just something that slowly draws us more into the world and farther away from Jesus? Maybe the devil's greatest tool once you become a Christian is to get you to stop paying attention to how you live. The devil might just want you to live a surface level life where you work and you have social activities, and you watch Netflix, and you scroll through your phone before you collapse into bed and you start it all again. Maybe the devil never really wants you to slow down, so he throws more and more news and content and tasks at you so that you constantly feel like you're juggling a million things and you actually don't have a lot of time to read your Bible or sit with Jesus or be changed in any meaningful way because there's always one 10 more things to do. And maybe he'd even be okay with you serving at church a lot, as long as he finds that you're never really taking the time to actually sit down with Jesus and allow yourself to be transformed more into the image of God. There's an old saying that if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. The author James K.A. Smith said this, what you give your attention to is the person you become. Put another way, the mind is the portal to the soul and what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life is no more than the sum of what you gave your attention to. So what are you paying attention to? What do you spend most of your life focused on? Well, let's look to some more Bible here. It's Luke 10, verse 38 to 42. 
As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister, Mary, sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. You know what, I actually feel bad for Martha in this story. We have given her such a bad reputation. Because we're all like, don't be Martha. You don't want to be Martha. Martha works too hard. Martha doesn't love Jesus the same way that Mary does. Man, Martha was just trying to make sure that everybody was going to be fed. I bet every mom in here really relates to Martha. She's trying to cook this meal. She's got the lamb in the oven. She's making some sweet potato casserole. She's roasting carrots. She's got some bread going. She's got all of these things and she sends Mary to go out to set the table for her. And 20 minutes later, she comes out to see where Mary has disappeared to. And she realizes that Mary is just sitting on the ground. Like what? What does Mary think she's doing? And that's the thing. Mary wasn't doing anything. She was just being. She was being in the presence of Jesus. She was being an example of how Jesus was this radically inclusive rabbi who actually allowed women to sit at his feet and learn instead of just men. She was just being seen and loved by Jesus. She was seeing that she had the time, she had the opportunity to sit and listen to Jesus in a way that almost no one else ever would. And she seized it. Mary wasn't just wasting time and not helping her sister. Mary was grabbing an opportunity. And I believe that we have that same opportunity. See, Mary is actually affirmed by Jesus for making a wise choice here. And maybe he kind of winked at her and was like, hey, like, you should help Martha, though. And maybe that was just left out of the text. I don't know. But he says that what she has seized will not be taken from her. And that same discovery that Mary made to sit at the feet of God and be changed by his presence is available for us. So some of you might have listened to all of this and you're thinking, not me, I'm actually pretty relaxed. I think I use my time well. And honestly, I hope that's true. I hope that that's where some of us are. Others of us though, maybe not so much. But for all of us, I want us to recognize that we have an opportunity in our lives to make the most of it. We can live a more meaningful life. We can be a little more relaxed. And we can actually fight the devil by slowing down and taking an opportunity to spend a bit more time with Jesus. So my takeaway for us this week, it's not that you need to take a whole day off every week and do a Sabbath. Although you should try that. If you don't do it, it's wonderful. You don't need to rewrite your schedule so that you're waking up at 5 a.m. to get your morning prayer and time with God and do devotions. You don't need to go on a silent retreat to reclaim your time and spend a few days alone with God. All of those are 
good, beautiful things and they might be worth doing at some point. But I think that if you try to change your whole life all at once, you'll probably fail. I know from experience. And I know that a lot of us probably feel like Martha and we're like, I can't stop living my life. I have things I legitimately need to do. Because you might have a demanding job or kids to take care of or an aging parent or a dependent that you need to be there for or maybe even a combination of all these things. And I, I just want to affirm that these are noble things that are worth doing. I'm not here to tell you to change your whole life. My encouragement to you this week is every day try to just find five minutes to stop and just be. Just be. Don't make it a task. Don't say what you need to do in that five minutes. Just take five minutes a day, sit down and say, Jesus, I'm here with you. And maybe you tell him something that's stressing you out. Or maybe you just need to feel like you need to confess that there was a moment that you were short with someone or you were angry. Maybe you just need to sit in a quiet room because the rest of your life feels loud. But just be and see what God might do with you in that five minutes a day. And then get up and go back to your day. As Christians, our main goal is not to do things for Jesus. Our main goal is to become more like Jesus. And Jesus is patient and he's kind. He's not envious, he's not boastful, he's not proud, he doesn't put others down, he's not selfish, he's not easily angered, he doesn't keep a record of wrongs. He rejoices with the truth. I believe that Jesus always protects us, he always trusts us, and he always has hope for us, and he always perseveres with us, and he never fails. And what we're trying to do here is to become more like that. So just be. This week, let's, every day, just be. Just be for a minute. And let's become a little bit more like Jesus in how we use our time. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you actually, you really care about how we spend our time. Thank you that for every person who's watching this, that no matter how stressed we feel, no matter how exhausted we feel, no matter how frustrated we are by how distracted we get, or how much we feel like we're falling short in different areas, God, you, you care about us. And I believe that you actually offer us a better way. So Jesus, for each person who's listening to this message, I pray that they would spend some, find some time in their life to just be, to be with you and that when they do, that you would meet them in it. And that through that little bit of time every day, that we would become more like you, that you would help to transform us more into your image. 
and that that next step would be a little easier. That you'd show us what the next thing for us to do after that is. And that we would not rush the process. But that we would just be patient to allow ourselves to become more like you every day. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you are gentle and you are kind. That you care about each one of us so deeply. In your name we pray. Amen.